has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in Tampa Ranch, Michael We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, 27-year veteran of the NYPD. You know, guys, sometimes in the this 24-hour news cycle, things can break at any time, and multiple things. And sure enough, yesterday at 1.30 in the afternoon, I covered the press conference of Asa Ellerup and, of course, Victoria Uriman and Christopher Sheridan, her two children, uh, in regards to their father, Rex Hewerman. And even after that press conference, some other breaking news did occur. And I'm going to get into that later on today. We're going to do a comprehensive report on that. But also my buddy, good friend of mine, NYPD Detective Duty Ron, made a special trip today to Gilgo to bring you some great coverage of what it looks like and where uh where all the happenings were in regards to this area and you know when i was a kid i stayed on a uh, an island very close to gilgo actually closer to jones beach it's called short beach and it's near the coast guard station and my buddies and i we stayed on this island and during the night we fled we jumped in the boat and got the hell out of there because we were getting attacked by mosquitoes literally like the bites hurt so much that we fled the island and somewhat, that's what happened today to Duty Ron and his buddy doing great coverage. They couldn't take it. They were getting attacked. It, I guess it was a muggy day, and uh, eventually it rained. But I'm going to show you some of their footage. And this is, of course, with permission from my buddy Duty Ron, retired NYPD detective. Let me put it up on the screen there. To do it by himself, and I'll tell you why. Because he has to jump off the, his, his little vessel, boat, He's got a, excuse me for the description that I'm going to uh, make right now. He's got to drag the individual across at least, I would say, in my opinion, probably 100 yards, 150 yards. Now, what what they're talking about here is there was a lot of people that thought Rex Schuherman perhaps took a duck boat across the bay and on the other side of all that brush you see, landed with his boat and then dragged the bodies to this location off the highway in Gilgo. And he's talking about how improbable that is. I'm going to tell you, once this is all marshland. And what that means is that the heavier you are, you're going to sink like quicksand. So not only was the this guy six foot six and 290 pounds approximately, there's no way that he was going to do that. So that's my opinion. That's a, a great perspective that what I see, I'm live right here looking at all this. So th that that's not going to happen. This guy, in my opinion, drove over here, right, Duty Ron? With the car, yes. Um, and, and again, for him to come, uh, beach his boat there and then walk up would be literally, uh, it would be it would be a, a, a really tough feat. And um, we got to keep walking because I'm getting eaten. So, yeah, let me give you guys a perspective right here. Watch this. So you're getting an I'm idea he's getting eaten alive right now. Right? I'm going to pan to my left. Watch this. 
I'm going to show you how much closer it is to pull over with your vehicle. Remember, this whole a, walkway was 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 all dirt. You could come was, on it. This was all dirt. This and, walkway wasn't here at the time of the... Uh, and the guardrail wasn't. Right. And the guardrail wasn't here at the time of the murders. But here, this was here, which is the, the highway right here. This is the highway. Okay? So let's go back and meet up with Duty Ron. So that that's... I mean, we're here live. We see it with our own eyes. There's no way. So what do you guys think? Do you think, you know, what's your theory as far as how he put these bodies over here? Do you think, put a one in the chat if you think he came by boat or put two in the chat if you think he drove here with the poor victims? You know, folks, another thing that I don't know if they mentioned was that, of course, Ron, uh, Duty Ron believes that he drove from Massapequa. Now, on Ocean Parkway, you would be heading in an easterly direction, and he would have to, at some point, um, turn back around and head west in order to be on the uh, the Bay side, which was where the bodies were found and dumped. So, as you can see right now, there's a rail there that wasn't there, nor was this little bicycle path, because this would have been 2010. So none of those things were there, but he would have still had to have been heading east and somewhere do a U-turn and come back heading west in order to be on the westbound side of the bay side of this road. Oh, exactly, Mystique. Exactly. Right. In the meantime, uh, uh, <laughs> Duty Ron and I are getting bit up over here. Okay. It's like they're on a safari. <laughs> getting eaten alive. So we're walking on the path. Holy shit. Yeah, we're getting. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't imagine coming here in the evening at night. You know, folks, we're, we're, as they're, they're talking about this, I mentioned I stayed on, on an island near there when I was a kid. And it is no joke. These, these mosquitoes are like, they like drill into your leg, into your arms, into your back. Some of them, if you get those horseshoe flies, they'll actually bite right through your pants, right through your shirt. It's it's uh, it's unbelievably painful. It would be pretty bad. I should have sprayed bug spray on me. All right. So we're coming in between Coast Guard Cove and Hemlock Cove. And in the distance is Hemlock Cove. Joey, I'm not sure if we're going to make it all the way down there because we're definitely getting eaten alive. That's for sure. You know what? But Walk over here, Ron. Walk on the other side. Don't walk near over here. Right. Stay over here. It's less? It's less. Okay. Sure, there's nothing here. They're still... Oh, man. You should have alcohol just... I know. <laughs> hey, We're this is what it. we do for our people. You see... <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> you see that, guys? We're here. We're doing, the... we're doing God's work right now. We're helping out the situation, and we're trying to bring you a part of, part of this situation with us right now. Okay, Let's let not me... get run over by bicycles. We gotta stay to the left. They, they have they have I mean, dual the right. hazards. Uh, they have bicyclists and they got mosquitoes. They gotta watch out for the cars. Uh, so it's not it's not without dangers. They they faced the danger in order to bring this unbelievable uh, terrain to show you what this area was like. My God! All right, who's in the chat, Joey? 
Okay, so we got Dr. Edward Moskowitz. Hey, Doc. We got Sarah Oakley. <laughs> we got Judy. We got well, Dormery on mod. This, this is, of course, playing from Duty Ron's show uh, earlier this morning. I believe he started at around 11.30. He told me he was going out there. And uh, I bet you he wished that he would. Uh, he left this for October or November uh, because this case will still be relevant at that time. Uh, Cowboy and Saddle, thank you so much for the $5 super stick. I'm going to play a little bit more of this, and then we're going to get to the topic at hand today. We have – go ahead, guys. Uh, do me a favor, guys. I'm going to give you a shout-out. Tell me where you – what location you're from, what town, city. Go ahead. Do it. Pittsburgh strong. There we go. Agatha, you're welcome. Twitty USA News. Yeah, Bugs. Oh, my God. I, ju I just want uh, <laughs> stay in the stationary. Middle. Stay in the middle. I just want to get one. Hello from flee. Russia. Welcome. <laughs> Privet. It's hot and very sunny. It's about 86 degrees Fahrenheit was the last I checked. Good to see you, Tooth Fairy. Miss Lizard. Wichita. Thank you. My legs are getting bit a lot. Fuck. We're gonna have to walk. <laughs> we're gonna have to walk on the highway soon. Holy shit. All right. So, so, guys, you caught the drift. It was actually uh, pretty funny. I mean, I'm glad I wasn't the one that went to the the wilds of uh, of Gilgo to bring you that because they were they were in some pain there, you know. But uh, it's interesting. It gives you a perspective of what it looks like. You can just imagine um, that location at nighttime, pitch dark. There's virtually no lights. All you would see is the lights of cars, but in the winter time, there are virtually no cars around. So you you multiply that by nighttime, and it's an extremely extremely desolate area. I want to thank Duty Ron for sharing, allowing me to share that with you guys. I know a lot of you guys watched that this morning. Uh, one of the things we I want to talk about, and yesterday we were talking about the press conference. Uh, and I believe the attorney's name was Robert Macedonio. And there's another attorney named Ves Mitev. Robert Macedonio is the attorney for Essa Ellerup, who is uh, Rex Ewerman's wife, of course. And now, look, there's a lot. He, he, he outlines a lot of things that have occurred. And, of course, the gist of this is that the police, during the search warrant and executing the search warrant, uh, destroyed the house, left it a mess, and all this other stuff left the tub. and the pipes not working, uh, a lot of a lot of stuff. But it, it, he also let out uh, that Essa Ellerup is also suffering from breast cancer. So look, it's impossible for any human being not to feel for this family. But at the same time, and I'm not saying don't feel bad for this family. Please do. Their father is an alleged serial killer. So I think what takes precedent here in my opinion, is the search warrant that was issued by a judge to recover evidence, any kind of evidence that would link Rex Hewerman to the victims or possibly to victims who have yet to be found out yet. So that is really what, what from a law enforcement perspective, and folks, I just want to break it to everyone. Law enforcement never cleans up after a search warrant is executed. So I don't know if some of you guys would like legislation that law enforcement must call the happy maids in after they're done. But 
at this juncture, I don't know of any jurisdiction on this earth that requires law enforcement to clean up after they're done with a search warrant. Unfortunately, it's not um, it's not the best press for the police department. However, when Rodney Harrison, the police commissioner of Suffolk County, was interviewed, he indicated that the house was extremely cluttered before they even began the search. I will guarantee you, and I will guarantee this, that the Suffolk County Police memorialized this search prior to the start of the search, either by video or by still photographs, probably by video, to show the whole house. Because, of course, they would anticipate a lawsuit. So yesterday, the attorneys for uh, Essa Ellerup and her and her uh, kid, everyone keeps calling them kids. I understand they're both in their 30s. I know the son, Christopher, is a special needs person. And uh, Victoria Uerman, I believe they're both in their 30s. So I know we, I've spoken about this before, we always refer to our children, no matter how old they are, as kids. But they're two, they're adults. They're adults. And so that doesn't mean we don't have to feel any less sorry for them, but they're not kids. I'm going to play a little bit of the press conference to get a flavor for it, because later on, last night, I think Duty Ron went live last night at about 10.30 or 10.40, because there was breaking news to this. And I'm going to report the same thing. And my feelings on it, what does it mean? What does it mean for the investigation? Is the breaking news, is it truthful? Or do we disqualify it as not relevant or not credible? So those are some of the things we're going to cover. But first, I'm going to play a little bit of yesterday's press conference in regards to the attorneys for Essa Ellerup and uh, Victoria Uerman and Christopher Sheridan filing what they refer to as a notice of claim. Oh, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for coming out. Uh, I'm Bob Macedonio. I'm the attorney representing Asa Ellerup. Uh, as you're all aware, she's the uh, wife of the uh, Bilbo Beach serial killer suspect. Um, on her behalf, she wanted me to express her thanks to the enormous outpouring of support that she's received in the past several weeks. Um, we've gotten gift cards, care packages, food's been delivered to her house. Um, there's also been a GoFundMe page that's been set up on our behalf, because I'd like to uh, clarify some of the issues with that. The GoFundMe page that's been set up is 100% for the benefit of Asa and her children. This law firm or any associations of us, we take no funds from that. She will receive 100% of the funds from that. Um, the GoFundMe page was set up by Melissa Moore, who is the daughter of the serial killer, the um, Happy Face Killer, who in the late 90s was convicted of killing at least five um, sex workers in the Midwest. She was 16 years old when her father was arrested. She reached out immediately to myself. We put her in contact with Asa, and they have uh, started the GoFundMe page. Um, like I said, 100% of the proceeds from that GoFundMe goes to Asa. At this time, Asa has authorized me to relate to everybody that for the past several years, she's been suffering from cancer. She has breast cancer. She also has skin cancer. She's presently under a course of treatment that's going to continue for the next 12 to 18 months. Now, why I bring that up is because her health insurance is due to expire in the next 60 days. The source of her health insurance was from her husband's employer. He was the employee. So when the funds run out, his business accounts, the health insurance will no longer be available for her to treat the cancer. It's going to be going treatment she needs for the next 18 months. Um, that's the big part of it. We, we did tour the house on Sunday. I was there with my staff. Um, 
and saw the damage that was done and the mess that was left behind when the police did leave. The drain pipes were taken out of the bathroom. That little elbow piece, the traps were taken out of the bathroom sinks as well. You know, folks, we um, also spoke upon that. Like, why would the police break into the tub? Why would they go into the uh, traps? Basically to find uh, forensic evidence, biological evidence. And uh, there's still a potentiality that there could be some, and that's what they searched. Um, crime scene technicians do this all the time, and they're experts at it. And unfortunately, there's there's not an easy way uh, to do this without wrecking some things and destroying it. And I'm sure that down the road, and uh, unfortunately, it's not going to happen quickly, uh, that uh, Essa Ellerup and, and her family will be made whole in regards to fixing their house. But again, I just like to poke some of you back into reality. They're searching the house of a serial killer. All right. So I know we can, we all feel sorry for Essa Ellerup and her children. However, the search for this evidence takes precedent. It has to. bathroom tub so we could not run any of the water. Uh, we had a cleanup crew come in with 20-yard dumpsters with five men and started moving debris that was left behind. As we speak, photos are being released to all of you through the internet, um, which you'll have digital photos of the damage that was there. I've also had the opportunity to view the so-called vault or the soundproof room in the basement. It is not a soundproof room. It is not a vault. It is a safe door about six foot high that is attached you know, folks, this that whole thing he's referring to, and that was invented by the press. Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, the press does invent things all the time, and then they yell at other people for not telling the truth. They invented the fact that there was some soundproof room. That was never reported by the police. What was reported was they had a room like with a, a that had a safe door on it to protect the 200 or more firearms that he had in that room. So there was never it was never reported by the police that he had a soundproof room. That was um, somehow, uh, you know, enhanced by the press reporting that. So I think this attorney, uh, Robert Macedonio, is just reiterating that information and letting the press know that uh, what they've been reporting is false. Two, two by fours with an open ceiling in the basement like anybody's basement would be unfinished inside. That's where the guns were allegedly stored. I also had the opportunity to view this doll that was made mention of by the um, prosecution or the police department. It's a collectible doll. And again, at some point in time, you have a photo of that that Oz has collected for many, many years. It was in, in a wooden glass case that was uh, there. Um, again, Asa would like me to express her thanks for the support she's received. Um, she's going through a very difficult time um, emotionally. She's recovering each day, not only dealing with the cancer, but this new found life that she has to come terms with protect herself and her children. The attorney for the children is here, Mr. Vestatev. Um, I'd like to say a few words. You know, folks, I just want to say something. Uh, first of all, do you find this a little bit unusual that civil attorneys, and that's what they are, civil attorneys are holding a press conference in regards to filing a notice of claim against the Suffolk County police. Is that a little bit unusual? Yeah, you bet it is. If they didn't have the case didn't have this notoriety, first of all, would anyone show up from the press? No, they of course they wouldn't. But 
what is the purpose of civil attorneys mentioning certain things like the soundproof room? That has nothing to do with their lawsuit, that the, the, the existence or non-existence of that soundproof room. Uh, you know, when he mentions they broke the pipes, they went through the traps, all that, that has to do with their lawsuit. But again, would they be holding a press conference on a notice of claim against a municipality if it wasn't this case? But the other thing is they're civil attorneys. So you'll see later on in the press conference, they're asked certain things about the criminal case and they swear to know nothing about it. But where does the civil case and the legal case end and, and uh, begin? You know, those are some of the questions that I have. And it's interesting um, to listen. And this is, uh, his name is Ves Metev. He's the attorney for the uh, Uerman children. Thank you all very much for coming. Uh, as you know, my firm represents the two children, Victoria and Christopher. They'd also like to say thank you to the public that's come out, the donations, the people that have sent care packages, the people that have sent money, the people that have stopped by and given them well wishes. And we've spoken, I think, in the press for the last few days about why, how it's so important that this family has competent and capable legal representation. And Mr. Macedonio and his firm and my firm, obviously, we're going to keep doing that uh, because they have, as we've said before, rights and liberties that need to be protected. Okay, they all have that. ASA has that. The children have that. As this investigation continues, obviously, the district attorney's office is releasing new information every day. It's going to be a very long process. So what they're asking you all to keep in mind that it's going to be a marathon. It's not a sprint. This is going to continue. This case is going to be a very long time in the making. And through that process, obviously, we've talked about in the past few days that the law requires them in order to preserve those legal rights and remedies, to file certain legal documents at certain intervals. If they don't do that, they will have waived those rights in the public forum. So we are... Folks, they have 90 days to file suit against a municipality. It's not rocket science. Uh, he's making it sound like it is. It's not. They have 90 days to file a lawsuit. At this point, announcing that the children uh, and the seller up on her behalf are going to be protecting those legal rights and remedies by filing what's called a notice of claim that notice of claim is going to be filed within the next 30 days. And that obviously is a legal prerequisite to filing a lawsuit. And it has to be done because otherwise those rights are waived. And that's what's going to happen. When it happens, obviously, we'll let you all know. We'll let you folks know what the content of it is. But that's the announcement that we have to make. In closing, I'd like to echo my colleague's statements. At this time, the family, again, requests truly and, and honestly that their rights and liberties have to be protected. And a part of that, again, is that the focus is on their basic needs, their food, their water, their shelter, their clothing, okay? And, and that's their paramount concern right now. It is those basic human needs that all of us have that have been ripped apart from them. So we ask you again, please respect their privacy. Please know that they're going through a horrific emotional time that none of us could imagine. And let the legal process run for them. Thank you. You know, I'm going to get back to some of this, but one of the un really unusual things about this, that uh, uh, the connections to this, and I'm going to play the video. And of course, Duty Ron told me about this last night. Prior to him going on the show, on uh, doing his show last night, uh, Johnny Ray, an attorney for Shannon Gilbert, 
and her family. So you're talking he's been around for 12, 13 years involved in this case. He goes on Cuomo, uh, Chris Cuomo's show on News Nation, and let's go of a bombshell, a bombshell. And if it's not true, I think he as an attorney has a serious problem, you know. But uh, let, let me play it, and uh, you're going to see what it is. And the other thing is the attorney we just saw speaking, Vesmatev, he was an associate. They We worked with Johnny Ray, almost like, this is crazy. How is he working the civil side? And this Vesmatev now, uh, excuse me, Johnny Ray is letting this bombshell go. Uh, it's 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 just it's it's an incredible thing. Well, let, let me play it and and you can decide. But it's uh, again, Duty Ron played it last night. It was breaking news last night. Uh, and let's take a listen to it. This. Appreciate you taking the opportunity. Sure. Um, you said these things very vehemently, but not only do we not have proof of what you're suggesting, the authorities say otherwise. They say that the wife was not in town at the time and that they do not believe the wife was aware of what was going. What do you know that they don't? Well, several things I know, and they said that. I don't say now that they still say that. They said that at the very beginning of this investigation, but other things have developed. Uh, we have a, I have a witness, uh, a very credible witness, who I spent many hours with to interview. Uh, and from that witness, as well as from the circumstances of this case, I know that Mrs. Ellerup is conning the public right now with this press conference and the rest that she pulled off to say that she's in, in need of money. Uh, she is not, and furthermore, she is complicit in her husband's uh, solicitation and use of sex workers in his home over the course of years. Boom, my God, there's there's a bombshell. And again, Vesmatev, the attorney we just saw who's representing uh, Jen, uh, Victoria Ewerman and Christopher Sheridan, the, the children of Rex, and Essa uh, Ellerup, he was a, he's an associate of Johnny Ray. So it's like, and, and guys, if you doubt that, just go on Google and Google is Vesmatev an associate of attorney Johnny Ray. And there's pictures of them together, working cases together all over the internet. So I'm just not, I'm not just making this up. So to me, this was pretty damn strange. And so is this allegation because Again, the police, uh, Rodney Harrison, the Suffolk County Police Commissioner, said we don't suspect Essa Elrup or the children had any knowledge of this. I would, of course, like to know what was the extent of their questioning. Uh, now, guess what? They can't be questioned, as, as we know all you true crime aficionados, because they have counsel. They both have attorneys. Unless the attorneys agreed, which most attorneys worth their salt would never allow it if the attorneys agreed to have them questioned in their presence. But I, I don't see it. And again, these attorneys are civil attorneys. And if we watch the rest of that uh, press conference yesterday, they deny any knowledge of the criminal case whatsoever. Many of them. And she, in this tiny little home where she lived and he lived 
she was upstairs when he would be downstairs uh, having sex with these prostitutes. And uh, he spent enormous amounts of money on them. And it was a regular uh, thing that happened. And she's now, after 27 years of marriage, in the age of computers and cell phones, when you know where everybody is at all times, didn't know about what her husband was up to downstairs. That's just nonsense. There's two out of the three hairs that are found on the wrappings of the bodies are hers. That alone puts her in the circle of suspicion. Boom. That does not put her in the circle of suspicion. We've spoken about that on the, this show numerous times. There's something called transfer ev evidence, right? And Rex Ewerman, if he had, A, let's say the, the sex workers were in his house. There's one way transfer evidence could have gotten on them. The other thing is, say they were not in the house, but Rex Ewerman's burlap bags were in the house. Rex Ewerman is in the house. It's easy for him to transfer, in this case, hairs from his wife onto the burlap bags or onto the body. So it doesn't automatically implicate her. So, And I'm surprised that Johnny Ray, being an attorney with 41 years' experience, he champions later on, uh, doesn't know that. Yeah, I'm sure he does know it, but he's he's using it as, as pretending he doesn't know it because he's trying to prove a point. And if the police come out and said, as they did, well, she had an alibi, well, maybe not once we start to study these cases a lot more carefully. But she was complicit, as you heard the me say. forensic. Go ahead. Sorry. I hear what you're saying, Counselor. I just I just want no, not at all. I just want to put some meat on the bones of this because it's, you know, it's it's such a sensitive and damaging thing to say because, you know, you got uh, this family that may be as traumatized as anybody else. Uh, what I have heard from not just the uh, perspective of authorities, but the forensic experts is if he had uh, these victims in the house, it's not surprising that you would find DNA from the wife or hair from the wife. Uh, it's her house. Um, but how do you know that she was, as you say, complicit in his activity with sex workers? Who is this witness that you have who would know something like that? I have a witness who has refused to identify herself publicly at this time. Uh, she, I just spoke with her very recently, and she is a very, very credible witness. I say that from 40, I pull rank, I guess, is how I'm making the argument. I know that can be a fallacy, but it also could be truthful. And that is that uh, in my 41 years of experience as a trial attorney and litigator, I, I tested her using the usual test for truth, and she, she tested out fine. So I'm, I'm perfectly willing to share. When do the rest of us get to? Pardon me? When do the rest of us get to meet this person and test their credibility and what they have to offer? That's her choice. And she, right now, she's held me back from doing that. However, uh, you know, she does exist and she's real. And it, it stands to reason as well. It's what she tells me is completely consistent with the obvious. And it's the utterly improbable that she didn't know uh, about what his shenanigans right. were in that house for all those years. It's just ridiculous. And she's, right, John Ray, she's out here. I appreciate yep. I, I appreciate you making the case. Anytime you want to come on with her or offer anything else, obviously you should go to the authorities first. I'm not suggesting otherwise. Um, that's what matters most here. Uh, but you got a platform here to make the case. I've heard the accusation. I'd love to hear the proof. Okay. Yeah, of course. And, and keep in mind that uh, she's raised $44,000 in her 
GoFundMe account. She's not a victim. She is not a victim, nor are her are, are the other two adults that live with her victims. The victims are, are, are well, all dead. Understood. But just because they weren't murdered doesn't mean they haven't been victimized by this situation. Their lives are colored forever for their connection to Rex Heuerman if these charges are sustained. All right. I got to jump uh, to be continued. To be continued, right. Mr. Ray, uh, we'll speak again. All right. So quite a uh, a bombshell. I mean, I mean, how many I just like to be uh, take a little poll here. How many people think that the attorney Johnny Ray is telling the truth? And if you think he's telling the truth, that he really does have this witness, put a one in the chat. If you think this is uh, highly incredible, put a two in the chat. I'm just interested to seeing uh, what your take on this is, because I find it, first of all, Johnny Ray has been representing the family of Shannon Gilbert since she disappeared. Who's paying him? The family has no money. In fact, quite recently, in the last couple of years, one of the daughters murdered the mother. So Johnny Ray is doing this all for publicity. He's not getting paid. Who's paying him? The family has no money. And he's a private attorney. So uh, it, it's, it, it's, I don't know if it... Uh, yeah, why is he why is he going to the media and not to the police exactly? If this witness truly exists, well, it's possible that she could be uh, she could be going to the police. We don't know, but uh, we've we've heard several times, not just uh, Rodney Harrison, but also uh, Ray Tierney, the Suffolk District Attorney, say they believe that she had no knowledge of this. So we have to go at this point what we're being told. But now if witnesses come out of the woodwork and then there's other evidence that shows that uh, Asa Ellerup was in fact in town in times that uh, Rex Schumann committed these, allegedly committed these murders, then we have a whole different look at this case, don't we? Then I don't think everyone that is so sympathetic towards as Eller would be so. And I'm not saying what Johnny Ray is saying is even remotely true. You know, he's, uh, you know, he's been working for 12 years. He, and, you know, it's an old expression. He, he's never saw a camera he didn't like. Every time there's news cameras around, he's somewhere. He's been on all of the documentaries on this case. Every You see him all over. Because, again, he's not getting paid in, in money, so he's getting paid perhaps in publicity. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, the amazing thing is this attorney right here, uh, Vest Matev, he's an associate of Johnny Ray, and he's he's taking the civil part. of It's it's a little bit baffling to me. Again, that will be uh, set forth in the notice of claim, but clearly it's going to be preserving the rights against law enforcement investigations and officials and investigators that were present at the scene. That's standard. Again, I wouldn't ask that you read into it too much, but that notice of claim is going to be filed. Like it's a legal prerequisite to filing a lawsuit, which they have. They're, they're suing the police department. Come on. Yeah, there's a lot of legal mumbo jumbo. He's got, they got 90 days. The police department is the persons, the entity that 
uh, allegedly wrecked the house. Notice of claim we're suing. We want damages for it. I mean, I don't know why he's he's hiding behind the notice of claim. Just tell him what it is. I mean, I think all of these news reporters perhaps are smart enough to figure it out. Yeah, they're suing the police department. Uh, it's like they got to have it spelled out for them. And this guy's doing his, uh, he's impressing us with his law school words. Have to file in order to preserve their rights. Has the Nassau County Police Department involved in wrecking the house? At this point in time, we're not sure what law enforcement were involved in actually entering the premises and which were involved with securing the streets and that. So we'll file the notice of claim. It'll probably list all the agencies. And then once the investigation's done, we'll narrow it down and see if there's any kind of lawsuit that can be present, proceeded after that. Well, why would you describe the condition of the house when you saw it after the search? It, it was piled floor to ceiling with debris that was just taken out of the attics of every closet. Every inch of the house, there was a path probably a foot or two wide to get from the front door to the kitchen. And that was the way through the house. You know, I think there was a really good possibility that Rex Ewerman was a hoarder because when... Uh, uh, um, the police commissioner, the Suffolk County police commissioner, Rodney Harrison, was questioned about this. He said, right from Jump Street, the house was quite cluttered. When a cop says that, believe me, the house is beyond. And and you notice they, they show a picture of the house from about five Christmases ago, uh, you know, which, you know, that's that's a long time ago. They're showing it all how neat and clean it was. Children and also sleeping on really foam mats on the floor next to the door bed where the dog was sleeping also. In, in addition, I forgot to mention, there were three cats that were taken um, when the police executed the search warrant, taken to the uh, animal shelter, local town of voice of the animal shelter, which was going to euthanize them if they were not picked up by a certain time. We had those cats removed, um, voluntarily transported out to the bite in West Hampton, and they're going to be maintained there until they're adopted out by loving families. I love I love that I love that the attorney let's let's bring up animals and show let's get sympathy through the three cats were going to be euthanized you know it would have been a catastrophe I had to use that joke sorry but uh, it's amazing they, they they're soliciting uh, you know uh, sympathy for the three cats. You know, don't forget that, as I said, they're soliciting sympathy for three cats, but yet this is a serial killer's home we're talking about. Let's just bring everyone back down to earth when we listen to these civil attorneys. The only thing his family knows about these charges is from the court of the media. They have not discussed it with him. They haven't addressed it with him. And that's why I'm structuring them now. We haven't had that conversation. Frankly, it doesn't matter. I need to get Asa back to be mentally healthy to protect herself and her own children. She has to repair this for at least the next couple of years before this case is litigated in the court. Have they been interviewed by law enforcement yet? She has not visited him in the jail. Have they been interviewed by law enforcement yet? No, they have not. We have not been contacted. That was prior to our representation if it happened, and we have not been consulted or contacted by law enforcement. Let me reiterate. Asa or the children are not suspects in this. I think the DA's office and the law enforcement has made that clear. They stated on several occasions they were out of the jurisdiction when these alleged crimes took place. So she she is not a suspect. She's not been questioned. She hasn't been accused of anything or being an accomplice or any part associated with whatever her husband's accused of. How is it possible that the client didn't know what was going Suffolk on? Suffolk County has proven Sorry. to frame people. Do you think there's any possibility that Rex Harmon has been framed? Sorry, I'm not even going to address that. I'm not the law enforcement. I, I, I trust they're going to do their job diligently. There's a future 60 Minutes reporter, you know, yelling out from the scene to two civil attorneys. Professionally, so I, I don't... just admitted they're lying. Mr. Macedonio, how do you 
you're assuming that all the allegations are true. So if it comes to your question, they're true, it is a complete double life. One of the photos that was released to you that you'll have momentarily will show the house at Christmas time with a Christmas tree and stockings hung by the fireplace at the alleged same time he's alleged to have gone out and committed these serial murders and buried the girls up in um, Gilgo. So if, if it happens, it's a complete double life. I assure you she knew nothing about it. They have been released um, already. You should have them. Your agency should all have them. They were sent out. You were, ta you were talking about the drain pipes have been taken out, but they're sneaking on the floor, basically. Yes. Is there running water in the home? How can they the water is running, but the drain pipes do run the water. The sink just drops down and goes right down to the basement. There's no the plumbing has been repaired, or at least the sink's been repaired, working on the tub as we speak. I have not spoken to investigators at all. Not at all. Are there any appointments made? No. No. They have not reached out to us, so I, I can't assume what they would be doing. I'm sure they're running a professional investigation. I understand the grand jury is still in panels, so that's their function, and we have not been reached out by them at all. Well, I, I, think it's, I think it's what's been said. They say a hair of her likeness is at the crime scene. I don't think they said DNA of hers is at the crime scene. So we, we, we of her likeness of hair. So I don't think the DNA is proven to be hers at the crime scene. Again, this attorney right here, his name is Vess Metev, and he's an associate of Johnny Ray. In fact, they work together. And again, as I said, go on the internet, go on Google and say, is uh, Vess Metev uh, an associate of attorney uh, Johnny Ray, and you'll see pictures of them working together all over the internet. Can you talk a little bit about how Victoria and Christopher are handling all of this? Sure. Before that, I just want to piggyback off something Mr. Macedonio just said, and this goes back maybe two days, but this DNA order that was cut, okay, that's a very standard order in any kind of criminal prosecution. This was a, a order that was going to be granted no matter what, okay? Any kind, anytime you have a case involving DNA evidence, a buccal swab is quite standard, right? State of, uh, you know, the laws of the state of New York are that you can be required, subject to your constitutional limitations, to provide what's called non-testimonial evidence, hair, materials, DNA. So that order was completely pro forma. I understand it was reported in the media as this groundbreaking, earth-shaking moment in the case, but it's not. It, it you know, when they first um, became apprised of Essa Ellerup's, um DNA, they got it uh, by collecting it surreptitiously, by removing bottles from their garbage pail and they were able to identify female DNA that happened to be Asa Ellerup's. That DNA was compared against the hair fibers that they found on uh, on the bodies in the bur uh, apparently on the burlap bags. So there were several steps to this, and then at some point uh, they probably requested uh, a buckle swab that's the inside. I'm not a dentist, but that's the inside of your cheek. And they swab it with a Q-tip, and that gets um, cheek cells that contain DNA. And that's how they get it. And just recently, Rex Heuerman was ordered by a judge to submit to a buckle swab. So now they have uh, the DNA right from the source, not from a bottle. Or in the case of Rex Heuerman, initially they got it from 
the pizza crust, as you recall. So directly from the source. It could get cut in every case. And if it wasn't water, it would have been immediately graded in a fuel abolition. So back to your question. This Obviously, there, as we've said before, at every moment that they spend in this waking, surreal nightmare, they have to keep reevaluating where they are, okay? They, they, uh, their valuables were shattered, their beds were destroyed, the places that they let their heads out at night no longer exist. The reason that they spend so much time outside and why you folks photograph them on the porch is because they can't be inside. The house is in shambles, it's ransacked, they can run over through roughshod, okay? So it's not as if they don't want to be inside their house, but uh, it, the conditions inside are deplorable, and they were left in a deplorable condition. So how are they doing? Again, we go back to what we need as humans. We need food, water, clothing, shelter, a roof over our heads, a place to lay our heads down at night. All of those things they were deprived of summarily without any warning, and every day that goes by, again, kindness of strangers, we appreciate that. They help get back a little bit of normalcy, but it's not going to be enough. Every dollar counts. Obviously, we have a long way to go. It's not going to be enough today. It's not going to be you know, folks, I don't think any one of us being uh, human beings that are, are reasonable and human beings that uh, have a soul, and none of us wish anything bad to happen to Esther Ellerup and her children. Uh, but I think many people are waiting to see, was there any involvement? I think that would change the scope of this if there, in fact, she somehow was. But we have to go with... Uh, the police and they said she's not so i don't know if we can really take attorney johnny ray's word as as anywhere close to truth i think we have to take it from the authorities enough tomorrow it's not going to be enough for months maybe years so in order to piece back what's been crumbled into a million pieces it's going to take a very long time and they need all that and, and that's what humans need a murder case with multiple victims is now the appropriate time to talk about the condition of absolutely the appropriate time to talk about the condition of human's house and children again they're innocent bystanders in this and that's again we cannot stress that enough because of what has happened here and it's of unimaginable magnitude they're caught up in this they're victims just as much they disagree or or you might uh you know consider that there were horrific things that are alleged to have been happened but an allegation and a conviction are quantum leaps apart so yes they are victims and yes they are innocent bystanders and yes their lives have been completely upended and turned upside down can you speak about the relationship again we're not i appreciate the question and, and we thank you for it we're not here to talk about that today we're here to give you an update disseminate some new photos which i think will give you a better idea of pictures worth a thousand words obviously as to what the house was what their life is like and those pictures as well but we're not going to talk about that and obviously to announce that we are going to be exercising their legal rights and remedies by filing the notice thank you sorry you cannot call the jail the jails have to be outgoing only from the jail so there's no it's spoken over the phone yeah like i've stated all those jail calls are recorded so we've instructed her and i'm sure his attorney's instructed him not to discuss the facts of the case um it just doesn't benefit either party so who's called that's the only way the call could happen as I, sorry. Yeah. As I said, uh, explained to you a reason for filing for divorce. Of course, I discussed that with her, and at some point in time, she'll make a statement on why you know she feels it was appropriate to do that. Okay. 
John, Johnny Ray is trying to keep himself relevant in this case. He has a victim and he's been on TV for the last 10 years trying to get. Look, look at the attorney, uh, Ves Metev, who works with Johnny Ray. Look at that. You know, we used to call that. Uh, I'm going to replay it back. Look at his. Look at the, the, the smirk he has. We used to call that a shit eating grin. Johnny Ray is trying to keep himself relevant in this case. He has a victim and he's been on TV for the last 10 years trying to get any kind of press attention on this and make himself relevant in this case. I can assure you, us Ellerup and our two children are not suspects in this case. They shouldn't be suspects in this case. I wholeheartedly trust the DA's investigation that eliminated them. So I don't know what Johnny Ray's purpose is to doing that, but like I said, trying to keep himself relevant in this matter. And you're told they're not suspects in this case. What can you say about how they're assisting they're not assisting at all. We've never been contacted. Is there any, is there any desire to do that? Is there something that you're not suspect? Do they want to go above and beyond? Again, if this happens, it was a complete double life. They have no information to provide. Again, they're not suspects. They haven't been questioned. I do not believe they have any relevant information, or they would have been questioned already. You know, folks, there's no doubt that the um, that the police questioned them when they first made the arrest. Uh, whether or not Essa Ellerup invoked counsel, we don't we don't know if that if that occurred, but that the police would not have taken missed the opportunity, for example, to uh, to question Essa Ellerup as to uh, well some of the information already had uh, through the burner phones they knew, and through their financials they knew that when Rex had called uh, the sex workers, and we know through their financials and uh, further checks when she left the country, when she was out of town, which seemed to be, it would correspond with when he met with sex workers. Now, there's been no confirmation uh, by either law enforcement or anyone else that he brought any of these sex workers back to his home. Um, there's absolutely no confirmation. Would it make sense that he would, especially if his wife was out of town? And his children out of town, yeah, it makes sense. Um, but we can't unless they the police let us know that all of the uh, potential evidentiary matter that they took into custody from the home comes back with forensic evidence from the victims. It, at this point, no one is telling us that the victims were brought to the home. We don't know that yet. We absolutely don't know. And again, this case is very early. There's, you know, they made uh, three indictments on this case uh, and it, there's there's one more expected, but they're, they're going to take their time because Rex Ewerman isn't going anywhere. So, you know, when they talk about the Gilgo Four, we have Maureen Brainerd Barnes, Melissa Bartolome, Amberlynn Costello and Megan Waterman. And the three that he's been charged with are Melissa Bartolome, Amberlynn Costello, and Megan Waterman. So we're waiting and we're all to, for Maureen Brainerd Bonds for that case to come down and for them to charge Rex Ewerman with that. But again, there is no rush. Rex Ewerman is going nowhere. He is not, never going to get bailed. So he's in for the long haul here. And as we know, He's been charged 
with three counts of murder in the first degree and three counts of murder in the second degree, with a fourth potentially uh, being uh, charged real soon. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, real crime stories, if you like real crime, true crime from a police perspective, then go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up and ring that bell. If you want to support us financially, we have a Patreon with three different levels, and we also have a channel members YouTube channel. You see the folks in the green font. They're part of our YouTube channel member family, and we really appreciate all our friends and uh, YouTube channel members. So, you know, this case is going nowhere. And again, these guys here, uh, Robert Mazzadonio and Vesmetev, they're civil attorneys. So they're looking out, again, they spoke about in, in legalese about the notice of claim. Basically, fancy wording for that they're suing the police for wrecking the house. We haven't gotten to that discussion. We don't know what he told his lawyer. Um, like I got, she hasn't had that conversation with him, and we instructed her not to. Yeah, she has not even asked. We told her to ignore all that, ignore the media reports, things that have reported in the media. A, a soundproof room. Everybody reported that. That is not true. So everybody ran with that story that he had this sex dungeon downstairs in his house with a soundproof room where he was bringing prostitutes and murdering them and then burying them on Gilgo Beach. There is no soundproof room in that house. So we cannot believe everything that's been reported in the media. We told her that and instructed her that she get, 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 herself, get herself mentally healthy and so she can could, she could be there for her children who are suffering through this. So the notice of claim, what, what are the grounds for that? There are certain rights that they are have to protect within a 90-day period for notice of claim, the property damage that was done. If you don't file that notice of claim within 90 days, you lose the right to pursue it at a later date. So we're just going to protect those. It's just going to protect those rights, and that's it. Whether or not a lawsuit will be pursued will be addressed later on. You have to file a notice of claim within a 90-day period or you waive it. And do you know the nature of the phone calls? No, I do not. Okay. In your, in your in your opinion, has the civil rights of this of this, this this family been violated? If, if my opinion, I didn't think they were, we would not be filing those to claim. Okay. Thank you. So the, you know, there you have it. Uh, notice a claim. They're suing. Uh, you know, of course, they're suing for monetary damages. They're not suing uh, because their rights were violated. They want money. <laughs> you know, let's let's put it as succinctly and as to the point as we can. You know, I want to play a little bit more of um, of Johnny Ray uh, to so you get a little bit of a more of a picture of who this man is and how he's been on. As I said, he never he's never seen a camera that he didn't like. Uh, here he is on on law and crime. Let's just watch a little bit of this. Out to out to Long Island. Yes, Michael Pack is a, a, a an escort driver. That's what he does. Uh, he takes the place of the old-fashioned pimp. And <clears throat> he drives her in her SUV from Manhattan after midnight out to Oak Beach. It is highly unlikely that, she, that he, who is very concerned with money, every penny of money, would have taken that trip using the, using the gas all the way out to Suffolk County, in, in the pitch of the night uh, for a, a small amount of money. 
and to have made that arrangement all by telephone and trusted that he would have been paid. That doesn't make any sense. What does make sense is that this was a prearranged meeting. And uh, the more details than that, we do not know, and the police haven't discovered. So when you, wait, wait. Happens, let me, let me follow ahead. up on that because I want to make sure I'm following you here. Are you saying a prearranged meeting, something beyond the time she spent with Brewer? Something else was arranged. Certainly Brewer was involved in it, but for, for, for Shannon uh, to travel all the way out with Pat in that, in that SUV um, would, uh, would not ordinarily have occurred unless there was a prearranged meeting and there was a fairly good sum of money involved. Remember that Shannon normally has uh, two-hour trysts, and this, uh, this tryst lasted for four hours, three to four hours. So uh, according to uh, Brewer and or Pack, they claim that, well, she, you know, she, she agreed to do extra time once she got out there. That's not likely either, especially because Brewer has claimed publicly a number of times that when Shannon arrived, he didn't want to have anything to do with her because she looked like a man and he wouldn't have uh, any kind of relations with her. He claimed that. That's hogwash. And uh, so there are lies being told about the whole thing by these people who were involved. And they, these lies have never been pursued by the police in any capacity. Nonetheless, Brewer is the guy and uh, who, who, who allegedly hires her. And when she gets there at some point, she, and uh, you won't hear it on the tape, but before the tape, she and Brewer leave the home of Brewer and drive in Brewer's car. Uh, we don't know exactly where, but the claim is that they went to uh, go to a CVS to pick up certain items and then bring them back. Uh, that's not likely, but that's what is said. But both Pack and Brewer claim that they left with Shannon uh, earlier, and the telephone records we have support that point. And then they came back, uh, Brewer and 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 uh, Shannon to Brewer's home. So, so that's uh, Attorney Johnny Ray, who's been involved in this case uh, for about twelve years, and. Uh, I don't know who pays him or if he gets paid, period, because um, obviously Shannon Gilbert is deceased. Her mother was murdered by her, her other daughter. So I, I don't know if, if uh, Johnny Ray or John Ray, this attorney, has, has, has ever gotten paid. So then why would you, you might ask, well, then why is he doing it? Perhaps the notoriety to be... Uh, in the public eye to get all this free publicity and maybe at, at another time, another date, all this publicity will serve him well and get him other clients. Uh, that's all I can figure out is that, uh, you know, he would, um, he's doing it for the notoriety because he uh, clearly he's not getting paid. You know, this week was also, um, they, they just, they discovered, uh, they discovered, Another, another body that was missing from years and years ago. And I wanted to play, um, I want to play a little bit of this from Law and Crime. And this is a, a woman who actually owns Othram Labs. Uh, and let me play a little bit of this. I think you'll, um, 
you'll really appreciate this if I can. Her legs found on Fire Island years prior. But recently, officials in Suffolk County on Long Island sent DNA from the remains to Othram Labs in Texas. Othram works with law enforcement officials to identify remains and help solve cold cases. Othram used genetic genealogy to identify Karen Vergata. Suffolk County officials haven't said whether they believe Vergata's murder is connected to the Gilgo Four. Rex Huerman is a 55-year-old architect from Massapequa Park. He faces charges in the murders of three of the Gilgo Four. He's pleaded not guilty to the murders of Melissa Bartholomew, Amber Costello, and Megan Waterman. The DA says he is the prime suspect in the murders of Maureen Brainerd Barnes. Huerman insists through his attorney that he didn't do this and that he's innocent. Joining me to discuss the technology used to identify Karen Vergata, the Fire Island Jane Doe, is Kristen Middleman. She's the Chief Development Officer with Othram Labs. Othram helped identify uh, the Fire Island Jane Doe and has worked on other cases across the country. Uh, We've featured them in other cases before as well. Folks, uh, this is Kristen Middleman, and she is a PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology. And her and her husband own Othram Labs. And Othram Labs is probably the premier lab in the nation uh, that does the um, investigative genetic genealogy, which would involve the SNP uh, technique, which they refer to as SNPs. And it stands for single nucleotide polymorphism. And it's an amazing, I mean, she's a brilliant woman and her and her husband are the ones, again, that own Othram Labs. Kristen, uh, thanks for coming on to Sidebar. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. I want to start at the beginning uh, with this because uh, this testing is different from your typical DNA testing. Of course, you have to have a DNA profile to do what you do. Uh, but you guys use a different type of profile to do the investigative genetic genealogy. It's called a SNP, uh, if I am saying that right. So tell us how you really start at the beginning and go about building these family trees and everything like that off of a DNA profile, uh, an STR profile that you later, I guess, I don't know, develop another type of profile for. Absolutely. So um, standard forensic testing that's been used for 30 years, DNA testing that has gone to court all this time, is known as STR testing. There you're looking at 20 STR markers and you're comparing them to the known database of perpetrators that, that is owned by the FBI, CODIS. So sometimes you guys may have heard that as CODIS testing. If someone is in the known perpetrator database, then you have a direct hit. But your DNA would have to be in there or maybe the DNA of your child, like a direct familiar relationship. What we do is we build profiles that have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of markers, up to a million markers. So these profiles have all of these SNP markers that you just discussed. And when you upload those to genealogical databases consented for law enforcement use, you're able to get really distant relationships. The more markers you have, the more distant relationships you can actually um, reach. And so you can get a sixth cousin, a fifth cousin, a fourth cousin, and all of us are related to some degree. Most, most areas in the United States, they were founded from a 
a few key families. And so to some degree, there'll be some relative in there. And they're not the relatives. You know, this stuff to me, and I think anyone in the true crime community, is fascinating. And here's this brilliant, brilliant woman explaining it in the way that we, the lay people, can understand it. And I think she's doing a great job. To come home for Thanksgiving with you, not the relatives that you know or you would call, but there would be some match in these databases. Then our um, genealogists go in, our genealogy team, just like you said, and they look at these matches and they figure out who the most recent common ancestor is on a tree. And then they build the tree back down until the puzzle piece that the person that we're trying to identify fits right into a family tree. At that point, we return that lead back to investigators and they contextualize it within their investigation. So let's talk about Karen Vergata because we know that part of her remains, um, so gruesome and grisly, it's sad. Folks, I'm just going to answer this question. Mary Michael, thanks for the 999 Super Sticker. Sergeant Bill, what's your take on this important credible witness is going to Johnny Rat and not the investigators? Please first strikes me as shady. You know, Mary, I, I believe that too. I mean, I don't uh, know the work of Johnny Ray as an attorney, but I do know that for 12 years, he's never missed a camera. He's never missed a uh, a meeting on this Gilgo case. He's been in every single documentary. And I don't know, again, who's paying him? There's no money. He, he must be doing this just for the publicity. So, right, I think if this witness is true and is credible, then she should go come forward to the police. Uh, her legs and feet were located in one area in a plastic bag on Fire Island, but then her, her skull was located um, much later than that. So you may have had a better DNA sample to work with from the remains, from the legs, uh, but maybe not the skull so much. So uh, tell us where you began with that. Obviously, you, you took her DNA and, and did your work. Yes, we took the remains and we we extracted DNA and then we proceeded to do forensic grade genome sequencing. That's this technique where we do a feasibility analysis before we consume the DNA because sometimes when you're dealing with perpetrator cases, you only have a finite amount of DNA in the tube. And if you consume it, all DNA testing, all DNA sequencing is a destructive process you're actually consuming someone's last chance of getting justice. And so we do this feasibility analysis that allows us to um, in advance predict whether or not we can build one of these profiles with the properties of the DNA found in that sample. Because we've identified um, and returned leads on over a thousand cases, and because we've done it all in-house, this has become a truth set. Each case becomes a standard. So we compared the DNA from her case to the previous DNA samples that we have run here at Authorum that we know we can successfully build a profile from and, and proceeded once we knew that yes, we could build one of these profiles. Then we did the sequencing, built a profile that had hundreds and hundreds of thousands of markers and that was uploaded to genealogical databases consented for law enforcement use. And in this case, we worked with the New York office from the FBI and they actually did the genealogical research to put her back on a family tree. Okay, Once they so identified you, her. 
Go ahead. They actually okay. called the family and asked if there's someone missing. That's what that's what happens each time. And um, her father did say that she was missing. They were looking for her. And uh, the last time he had spoken to her was Valentine's Day in 1996. So I assume then you requested or the FBI requested a standard, a, a sample from her father. That's right. And then there's a confirmation test that confirms our um, hypothesis that it was her. And so that's what happens each time, whether it. Folks, just uh, FYI, this is the same lab that did the um, forensic work, the DNA work uh, in the Brian Koberger, the Idaho quadruple case. So uh, this lab has quite a history of success with this uh, and uh, pretty amazing. It's um, and, and if if a direct relationship isn't available, we can do a kin snip confirmation, which allows you to use a further out relative. But in this case, her father was still alive. In fact, he passed away a few months after finding out what happened to his daughter. Oh, my goodness. So did he feel some sense of peace or can you are you able to describe to us or for us how he felt or his reaction upon learning once and for all where his daughter was located. Yeah, so what has been reported is that he had been looking for her continuously. It was his only child, and he um, had hired a private investigator to find her through the years. Um, and maybe he was holding on because after he found out what had happened to her, um, he was able to to pass away, at least knowing the truth. Um, you know, I've met hundreds of families over the last few years doing this job um, that are missing someone. And I have to say their life stops at the moment when their loved one is gone or at the moment where they don't know what happened to their loved one or who is responsible. I've met families that live in the same home for 47, 50 years, hoping someone will come back and knock on the door or someone will know where their loved one is. Families that go back to their favorite place um, weekly trying to see if maybe they would run into them. Families that go back to the crime scene, hoping they run into the perpetrator. Um, they, they hire investigators. They get online every day looking for their loved one. And they can't move forward until they know the truth. As far as Karen goes, uh, did you do any work to see, at least on her legs, or had anybody else done any work on her legs to see if there was other DNA, uh, maybe a swab to see if a perpetrator's DNA could have been on her body parts. I, I'm sure. Um, so um, every time unidentified remains are, are found, um, and this was this is a case, I'm sure that there was work done to see what other DNA was found there as well. But until until any of that is announced, until that becomes relevant to an investigation um, and announced by law enforcement. Again, these remains were found decades ago. Othram didn't exist until 2018. Yeah. Her remains were obviously preserved enough. The legs were preserved enough to extract the DNA profile. Uh, was it particularly difficult to, to work with those remains because of the age of them? Uh, even though, you know, they, they seemed like they were found relatively quickly. In April, she vanishes on February 14th. Was that difficult? There was contamination um, 
that was involved in this case that made it difficult to sequence the correct DNA profile in order to be able to, to get her identity. Um, but the age of the remains, um, like I said, we've worked cases that are over 100 years old, so that wasn't the, the biggest issue here. It was contamination from the surroundings that made this case a little bit more difficult to work with. But um, it's something that we've done time and time again here at Othram. And, and what, what used to be impossible is now the, is no longer the exception, it's the rule. It's something that's easy and it works as you go through this process relatively quickly because, because of those standards that have been built. And so that brings me hope that everyone that's out there nameless right now, every victim that's out there that has DNA, they should have their name back. I think within the next few years, we're gonna live in a world where no one goes nameless for decades. No father, no parent is waiting to find out where their loved one is. No one's wondering if their loved one just ran away and doesn't wanna be part of their life anymore. Something happened to them. That's, that shouldn't happen anymore. This, this new type of sequencing, um, it is being used now in contemporary investigations, right after standard DNA sequencing doesn't give you that identity. And with victims, it almost never does because they're not in the known perpetrator database. So you are not getting that answer. It can easily be flipped to forensic grade genome sequencing and you can infer someone's identity and not have a cold case. Be able to identify that person and give them their name back right away and start the investigation as to what happened to them much sooner, which often leads to being able to get more clues and, and solve the case faster. Folks, this is um, speaking is Christine Middleman. She is a uh, PhD in molecular biology and chemistry. And she, her and her, her husband own Othram Labs in Texas. That is one of the most successful investigative genetic uh, DNA labs in the entire nation. Brilliant, brilliant woman. And she so explained this so easily that I, I think, look, I could understand it. And she, I thought she did a great job. And I hope that you guys in the chat were listening because it's really unbelievable. This technology is unbelievable. And we may one day live in a world where, you know, a rapist, uh, a serial rapist, a serial murder won't exist anymore. And that adopted people can find their, their families, can find their parents, their, you know, if they, if they choose to do so. But this technology is just incredible. I just wanted to go back to Karen just briefly. You said that her father had disclosed that the last time he was talking, he had spoken with her was on Valentine's Day. Did he ever recall that that you're aware of um, whether or not, like what that conversation entailed? I mean, was he aware that she was engaged in this type of work and in, in being an escort? He did. Um, in the interview that I read, um, he he said that she had called him from jail and she was very distressed on that last phone call. And so he knew um, that um, she, she was in trouble and had been trying to piece what happened to her afterwards. Um, and he said that she kept in touch. They had a close relationship and she contacted him frequently. So when she stopped contacting him, that was something that um, was unusual and he didn't feel was something that was because she didn't want to contact him. Well, Kristen, it's been wonderful talking with you. I've loved. So guys, that is um, Kristen Middleman.
and I put it in the chat. Uh, she is one of the co-owners with her husband of Othram, O-T-H-R-A-M Labs, one of the most successful genetic genealogical labs in the nation. You heard us speak about they do a great deal of their work is for the FBI. Uh, you know, I would love to get her on the show. She's just, not only is she brilliant, but uh, she's a good speaker also. And she takes things that are undoubtedly not so easy to understand and makes them un understandable for us. And for that, I really, uh, I, I thank her. Folks, I always like to uh, mention, of course, when we do these shows and we do these cases that there are real victims here. And, you know, we started this show, of course, with um, uh, the lawsuit by for Isa Ellerup and the notice of claim that the attorneys uh, spoke about. Basically, they're suing the Suffolk County Police Department for wrecking the house. But this case is really about the victims. And uh, we know for sure that these are four known as the Gilgo Four and I always like to mention their names, Maureen Brainerd Barnes, Melissa Bartolome, Amberlynn Costello, and uh, Megan Waterman. Uh, I think it, this, everything about this case is, um, is so, so interesting. And are there experts on this case? There's people that know a lot more than others, but unless you have that inside seat to an investigation, through being a detective or part of the hands-on investigation, access to the case folder, access to all the investigative steps that have been taken over the years with this case. We cannot assume, what do they say? When you assume, you make an ass of you and me. We can't assume anything. These cases rely, of course, on evidence. So conjecture and rumor, none of that stuff. And again, this is the true crime community. This is the YouTube community. I try to report this stuff to you, minus the sensationalism. Uh, but sometimes it gets sensational because not everything is coming out as the truth. You know, there are rumor, there are conjecture. Even the police, uh, they're reporting it from their perspective, from their point of view. Over the years in this case, there's been some some bad information coming from the police. Even some, I was shocked to hear right out of Rodney Harrison's lips that when he first got to Suffolk County, became the police commissioner, he was shocked to find out there was one detective assigned to the Gilgo Beach case. And that detective was still catching cases, catching other cases. To me, coming from the NYP, that is shocking. And I'm sure... Rodney Harrison was shocked over that. And we, we've spoken ad nauseum about the creation of this task force, which resulted in getting identifying the perpetrator after 12, almost 13 years, and the person of Rex Ewerman, the alleged perpetrator. He's been arrested for this. So this, this, this is a long ride, and what, this ride is not over. And I, I, I just I'm happy that you guys have taking this ride thus far with myself with duty ron and uh we're going to keep bringing it to you as long as you keep coming to us i want to thank everyone for tuning in today on this saturday afternoon uh, i know duty ron went live late last night when that breaking news from johnny ray came out 
with the purported witness saying that Elsa Ellerup is totally involved with this. And I don't know if I believe that. And if it's true, then he should come forward with this alleged witness. And if not, it is what it is. Guys, have a great day. Thank you for tuning in. Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. God bless. One episode just ain't enough.